0: That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, Stephanie Desmond talks to Dr. Megan Shuti, a pediatrician at Johns Hopkins, about the seismic shift in how she and her colleagues are treating children during the pandemic. They also discuss concerns about kids' mental and physical well-being as the world has shut down around them. Let's listen.
1: Dr. Schutte, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. So, tell me a little bit about your job and the people you work with.
2: So, I am the medical director at a clinic at Johns Hopkins Hospital that's called the Harriet Lane Clinic. We are a clinic that serves 8,500 children and adolescents in Baltimore from some of the most vulnerable neighborhoods. So, most of the children that we see are on public insurance. So they really are some of the kids who are vulnerable because of the economic state that they that their families are in,
1: and that, that's the main part. Go ahead. I was going to ask you sort of how COVID has impacted them directly, but a little more about how you're concerned it's impacting them indirectly. So I think COVID is just a seismic shift
2: for everyone. It's the seismic shift in the world, the way the world functions, and particularly for kids. You know, no matter where you come from no matter what your background, for every child and adolescent, it's a profound disruption in their lives and really the whole social fabric of their lives. And luckily, you know, kids have not had the illness and death rates that adults have had from COVID. And so I think a lot of people don't think about all of the other consequences that are really on them that are the short-term and the long-term in this disruption that's so profound in their lives and just the wondering and anxiety about what will happen next really affects all of them now and will affect them in the future.
1: Are you seeing um, mental health impacts in the short term?
2: So we're definitely seeing mental health impacts in the short term. There's a, you know, a lot of anxiety and, and increased rates of depression, and these are all totally understandable with you know, the fear of the unknown that so many people are going through now. You know, with stopping school and schools shutting down, that for so many children is really one of the most stable things in their lives and one of the things that they can count on for routine and also trusted adults who they can talk to about many things. So the stopping of schools for so many has been just also an increasing point of anxiety and depression for, for so many kids. There's also fear of illness, you know, fear of illness for themselves, fear of illness for loved ones. Some of them may have loved ones who are being hospitalized or, or may die from COVID, and, and that's also very hard. And then also just everything that's surrounding in the news, you know, with, with all the discussions of COVID can be, can be so concerning. And I think there's also a sense of grief and loss for so many families, even if it's not a loss of a life per se, it's a loss of the lives they used to live. So, you know, graduations that were going to happen, sporting events, science fairs, dance shows, all the things that are part of being a child. And being a young adult, all of those are disrupted, and those that really does have a profound effect on children's lives now, but also, you know, on on their futures.
1: Are you finding that people are still bringing their children to the clinic, or are they afraid to bring their children in this time when we're told to stay home? I think you know, as in everything that we talked about, this seismic shift. There's also a
2: seismic shift in medicine and in pediatrics. You know, there is, uh, you know, once our busy halls that had kids running around and and laughing and playing, you know, they're really replaced a lot now with televisits and computers and a very different way of practicing medicine. And we have seen a dramatic decrease in the number of patients we've seen for many reasons. There's an interesting Commonwealth Fund report that just came out recently that documented this in outpatient practices nationally. They reported that between mid-March and mid-April that outpatient visits fell by 60%. And this was particularly in pediatrics where the school age visits so 17 to 17 year olds fell by 70% and 0 to 7 year old visits fell by 59%. So huge decreases in terms of the number of visits and there was some a, a, you know huge increase that's happened in telemedicine but in proportion this increase is still very small and there's a huge number of visits that you know children are not having. And some of these are are structural reasons. You know, we have, there has been a change and there was a shutdown of some of the health system for a while, which is opening back up now again. There's also structural reasons like access. So transportation getting somewhere, you know, caring for other children who might be in the home if you're bringing a child to an appointment. Lapses of insurance enrollment, such as Medicaid, where you may not be able to now go re-enroll now because of things that have happened with the, the shutdown. I think there's also... You know, even if offices are open places, there could be confusion among family members and, of you know, is the office really open? What type of visits are they having? Um, so I think those are a lot of structural barriers. There's also, like we talked about, the fear and anxiety, which again, is totally understandable in this time when people are told to stay home. And that's really one of the things that is, is helping us as a whole, you know, because people are staying home. I think a lot of that keeps people away from offices and concerns about safety. I've also heard from a lot of patients, them not wanting to overburden the system. So thinking that every doctor 24 hours a day is working on the COVID crisis and that by them coming in for what they think may not be, you know, as important of an immunization visit, that they're somehow adding a burden to the system that is already taxed. And so that I think is also something that uh, is a misconception that so much of the health system is working on COVID and there's still a huge amount of the health system that we think, you know, is really important and vital for preventive care and all of the things as pediatrics now that will prevent disease now and in the future. So there's also that whole kind of aspect. And there's the perception of risk, I think, versus the reality of risk, which right now is really hard to tease out. You know, even for me as a medical professional, hard to tease out yet for, um, for, most, for most people to, to think through.
1: You mentioned immunizations, and that's something that I'm particularly interested in. I imagine there are a lot of people who are not coming for their routine immunizations, and that could be a concern. I think for pediatricians across the country, this is a huge concern.
2: And I also think it's becoming more of a concern that the general public's becoming aware of. There's been more media around this also about decreased vaccination rates. You know, for most diseases to have herd immunity, you want about a 90 to 95 percent vaccination rate, which is pretty high. Um, And, you know, in some recent years, the U.S. has had some declining vaccination rates enough that, you know, it's been national news about measles outbreaks across the country recently within the past year, we've had a measles outbreak in Maryland here where we are. And so that's always been a concern for us. And so that really becomes a concern when you're thinking about dropping immunization rates. So no one knows for sure right now, because we don't have the data yet, the decrease in immunization rates you know, over the last month as we've had the shutdown. Estimates right now are from anywhere from 20 to 50% decrease in immunization. And although this may be a decrease for just a small number of kids, this decrease really does Magnify itself when you think about if you need such high herd immunity rates for different diseases. So, that is a big concern for us, particularly things like pertussis. This is whooping cough that really affects children for newborns and uh, children within their first year of life. And, you know, I've seen in my own career many children be hospitalized with serious pertussis, and I've seen children die from whooping cough. And so, that's a, a risk that, you know, is very pertinent to children. Then there's also measles, like I said, for the measles. And one thing, you know, we talked about, which I can pause and talk about a bit for, is you know, there's this thing called R naught that we've all been, I think the lay press has become a lot more familiar with. So R naught is the number of cases on average that an infective person will cause during their infection period. So the higher the R naught, the more infectious something is. So I think it's important to think about that as we think about all these diseases too. So measles has an R naught of 12 to 18. So, for every person that's infected, 12 to 18 people will, they will infect 12 to 18 people during their infectious period. Now, the regular seasonal flu has an R naught of about 0.9 to 2.1. Uh, and then the SARS CoV, which is COVID 19, which causes COVID 19, that is um, 1.5 to 3.5. So, if you think about that, measles was 12 to 18 and SARS is 1.5 to 3.5. Measles is one of those things that we're really, really concerned about outbreaks and also then the, the, severe effects that can have on children.
1: So you're talking about how immunization rates are down and visits to pediatricians are down. This could really cause long-term damage to these practices. I understand that some are concerned about whether they'll be able to reopen again.
2: Yeah, I think this is a a big concern for, for individual and public health going forward you know, as talked about, this is a whole, no one knows what the practice of medicine is going to look like tomorrow, yet in six months, you know, will patients return in the way that they did? Will people want to interact with the health system in the way that they did? I think these are all huge questions that we're all wondering about in the future. And in the meantime, you know, many, many practices are are struggling, uh, because they don't have large margins um, with which to pay their own staff and, to you know, and they have, dependent on the number of visits that they have. And so when there's these kind of dramatic decreases, there really is a huge financial pressure on practices. And one of my concerns is that many community practices will not survive through through this this pandemic and that they will close and that many children will not have access to the care that they need um, after this. So that's definitely a a big concern here.
1: There's there's something that also concerns you and that's about a recent story we saw that said that... uh, Child abuse cases in Maryland were down, but I think we're concerned that perhaps there's just not enough people reporting them.
2: Yeah, that's definitely a, a concern for us that there may be actually increase of child abuse, but there's not children are not presenting to the people who would be trusted adults who could help with this. So schools, kids are not going to, and then also. They're not coming to pediatricians and other places that might be mandatory reporters for child abuse. There was also an interesting story from, from DC Children's that they reported that also their hospitalizations for child abuse were down. However, the children who were hospitalized had much higher rates of severe trauma. So they were, much, you know, they were not getting the lower level child abuse, but really those who were, who were the most injured, which is, which is another really concerning thing.
1: What can we do now, right now, for our own children and for children who need us, who need you guys more than ever?
2: So I think the first thing is, if your child is scheduled for a well visit or some interaction with their pediatrician, call the office. See what they're doing. Figure out what's going on there. Do they offer virtual visits? Can you do that? Do they still want you to come in person for a vaccine visit? Um, What procedure are they doing to clean their office? Find out all the information that will help with fear and anxiety that families may have going to the pediatrician or going you know, to a doctor's office in general. Then also just talking to kids, talking openly about the, them to them and with them about what's going on in the world. And then also when you sense that they are having anxiety, reaching out to pediatricians and health professionals. That's what we are here for, what we're trained in, what we can help refer to other to other health professionals as needed, and we're still up and running. We're still here doing um, all the things that we want to do to keep kids kids healthy. You know, there are some opportunities that are also growing out of this. There's really an opportunity to think about how we can change the health system to make it more family centered and reinvent it in so many ways. And you know, I've, I'm actually been a telemedicine doctor all day today. That's what I've been doing. So I just took some time off for this and. There is something that is amazing about the opportunity to see a family and child in their home through a television visit. Uh, Early in my career, I did home visits. And there's something of this similar feeling of how people feel somehow more comfortable in their home or in front of the screen and the things that you talk about just feel different and sometimes more real and there can be able to really meet people on their own turf first kind of the hospital turf and that's been really I think an amazing opportunity to think about and so I think for people who are hesitant maybe about telemedicine and televisits and how that would work I would say give it a try you know try and do it with your office see how it feels to you know that it's new for the whole medical profession as a whole, and we're all learning together, and that there really can be something magical about it and a really amazing connection that can be had. Um, It's also really been an amazing opportunity for me to be able to talk with other caregivers in the home I may never have talked to. Like maybe there's an older sibling who cares for a child most of the time. Maybe there's another adult who doesn't come to visits, and I can give the same message to everyone in the house and get information from all them, which which is also totally amazing. I think also now really an opportunity is to think about is recognizing the importance of just public health and this public health infrastructure that we have now and, and having people think about that and and think about how, you know, vaccines have come up now so much more. And as everyone's looking for a COVID vaccine, my hope is that everyone will also re rethink about vaccines in general and really how important vaccines are for, for all children and that we can think about changing that conversation in many ways for people. So and that's another Another opportunity that is that it's out of all this.
1: Megan Schuette, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Josh Sharfstein, Lindsay Smith Rogers, and Lamare Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen McCusker and Spencer Greer, with support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.